everybody. Uh, can you hear me okay? Hi, my name's uh, Fred Height, and um, my wife and I live in Melissa, Texas. I spoke a few weeks ago uh, with Gordon. Tonight, uh, Ed and I will be sharing about the ultimate demonstration of a relationship with God. And um, so we're going to dive right in there. And so let's uh, go to slide number two. Oh, wait, do I have a No, you have a clicker. Okay. Let's see here. All right, what does it look like to walk with God? Wasn't it exciting to hear um, Steve Smith and Mike Eisenberg share about walking with God? Wasn't that eye-opening to see Peter and Jesus and what they want? And Ed bringing up that it's not just a quiet time, but a walk with God. You know, it really did. I caught myself this last week tempted to say, how is, you know, how is your quiet time? I got with one couple. And usually you start off, how's your marriage? How you doing? How's this? You've been reading your Bible, praying, these kind of things. You have this little list in your brain. And, uh, but I started it off with, hey, how's your walk with God? And uh, it was good. You know, it's funny. The person I got with, they weren't doing too great in their walk with God. But I asked my son, who's more creative and doesn't like little checklists, uh, Jack, and I said, hey, how's your walk with God? He goes, really good. Thank you for asking. And I was like, no more follow-up questions there, you know. No more like, did you, how do you define that, you know. And anyway. <laughs> and so it's been good. It gets me thinking outside the box. Ed's been helping me a lot with that, so I really appreciate that. To dig as deeply as possible into your heart and life to find out how to walk with God. You know, starting with the Old Testament, moving to the New. Gordon's been trying to teach us, next slide, on how to teach. A lot of us are just kind of Bible nerds. We love reading the Bible, and it's like the pearl in a hidden in a field, and you're like, oh, look what I found, it's really cool, and you go buy the field, and you go do it. So we're buying books and reading more stuff, and, and we're like, did you know Randy Alcorn's book in heaven, that it's possible that your dog, when it dies, it'll be in heaven with you? Did you know that? It's so exciting, because in paradise, they had animals, and, you know, that's pretty, you know, and, you know, it's all way out there, but it's kind of fun. Right? And then you got to bring it back to the Bible. And what does the Bible say? And those books are fun, but the Bible is the authority. And so what we want to do is we always want to try to share an Old Testament scripture and a New Testament. Sometimes we get the idea the Old Testament God is kind of mean, it's kind of mad, it's coming after you. And then Jesus comes along, saves the day, and he's awesome, and everybody's okay, and there's grace. But yet, anytime you read about God in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. If he's wrestling with Jacob, that's Jesus. This is the same. This is the God we believe in, the Trinity. They're all one and the same, right? And so when you read your Old Testament next time, imagine Jesus saying those words. It's going to trip your little brain up because you keep dividing the two. And Jesus says, don't do that. I am one with the Father. What you see in me, you see in the Father. I mean, he says it over and over and over again. And so we read in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be with you on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, from the very beginning, God wanted a relationship with us. He wanted to walk with us. As uh, I think it was Ed or somebody shared, 
of Adam walking in the Garden of Eden with God. That's what he wanted. That's what he's sent Jesus to do so we could do that again. And so in this meantime, the Lord's Prayer, I pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want a relationship with God. We want to walk with God. I've always dreamed of every Saturday at 8 a.m., you know, Jesus is like, hey, Fred, you and I can get together every Saturday at 8 a.m., have some coffee. Let's talk. And then I can say, hey, how did I do last week? You know, here's a few things you, you did wrong, and here's a couple things I'd do different. And, you know, it's like, oh, thanks, man. What, what about next week? You know, there's some things you should work on. I'd be like, thanks. That's awesome. Thank you. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Raise your hand if you'd like to have coffee with Jesus once a week. Yeah. Here's the downside. Because I've thought about this for years. Because I'm weird. Yeah. And so, here's the downside. I'm kind of introverted. And if Jesus thinks I'm cool and I'm okay, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time with Ben. To be honest. I'd be like, Ben's like, you want to hang out? Nah. I hung out with Jesus Saturday. I'm good. I'm like, unless you need help. I mean, you need, do you need me to help you? Then I might hang out with him. <laughs> Bring Jesus along? <laughs> Jesus like, no, nah, I, I only get with certain people. <laughs> and so I think that's why he doesn't do it, right? Because he created the church so we would fellowship with each other. If he just jumped in all our relationships, we I don't know, we wouldn't do it. So let's... <laughs> yeah, it does make sense. All right, let's watch a video called Shema about what does this scripture mean to hear God? For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema, where the prayer is meant. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Here it is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the hear, as in Proverbs chapter 20. Ears that Shema, and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at other ways that Hebrew authors use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let the sound waves in your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to, focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son, and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shema, that I am love. So Shema means to hear, and to pay attention to, and more. It can also be responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listens. Psalm 27, verse 7, Shema my voice when I call the Lord. Be merciful. Answer. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in the sentence to give it emphasis. Shema, Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means 
I will listen and do what you say, you use a single word, shalom. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were praying their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening, or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they said. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word very cool, huh? You know, <clears throat> I've always been confused at times when I get with brothers and they're struggling in something and I'll share a scripture and then they don't change. And then I think, well, I need to help them and I'll hold them accountable, ask them about it, but then they still don't change. And after a while, my own personality, and I, I give up. I'm just like, well, he didn't want to change. I'm done. And, uh, and Ed's helping me with this as well. And, um, and so what I, when I saw this, I see that what I'm feeling is, it's, it, if you hear what I'm saying, you would do it, right? If you think the world's coming to an end tomorrow, your actions should show it. And so you must not really believe it if you're not really showing it. And I want you guys to really put this to heart. As James said, don't just merely look at the word, do it. Obey it, Right. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about how do we walk with God, though. Okay? All right. Now let's bring it to the New Testament. <laughs> Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So since the beginning of ancient times, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are all telling us that we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you guys all agree with that? Sometimes when I'm stressed... And I got a lot on my plates. I'm spinning a lot of plates and they're wanting to crash. And something crashes, I get down, a little bit depressed, like, oh, frustrated, right? And you want to give up. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll keep it simple, the kiss simple, the kiss thing. And I'll go back and I'll go, okay, now what's the basics? What do I know for sure? Love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love my neighbor as myself. Love my wife. Love my kids. And if I got some energy left over, then... Be a great dentist, you know, provide for my family, whatever it is, the next on the list, right? And so then I add things on there. You know, a lot of times in life, imagine this, um, you're rowing a boat and God's in the boat with you. And you say, God, I want to do more. I want more responsibility. I want to do more, help more people. He's like, no problem. Just row faster. So you're rowing fast. Cutting through that water. And then one day, you're like, oh, I'm worn out. I'm doing too much. I've got middle schoolers, apparently. (laughs) All the middle school parents are just worn out. They can't even clap for their kids. And, uh, And so you're like, I just need a break. These sixth graders are killing me. And then he's like, just slow down. Just row a little slower. Take it. Get rid of some responsibilities. Things that don't matter as much. Focus on what's important. 
And then one day you're rowing, you go, you know what? <clears throat> I don't really like the direction you're going, God. I seem to be doing all the rowing. You're doing the steering. You know, I'd like to steer. He says, it's no problem. You can steer all you want. I don't row. Just remember that. All right. How can we understand what it means to love God in this way? To go from doing to being. Imagine your closest relationship with someone. They want to be your friend. God does too. Raise your hand if you feel as though you've got a best friend. Someone that knows everything about you, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Good. More than half the room. Amen. All right. Let's look at John chapter 15, verse 12. It says, my command is this. This is Jesus speaking. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You know, somebody brought this up recently that the word servant in the Bible means slave, which is true. And they're saying we need to be a slave. We need to think of that as our role. And I really thought about that. And I thought, yeah, I mean, I'm willing to do that. I want to do that. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. You know, I want to know that I'm pleasing God. But a lot of the things I do is not because I feel like a servant of Christ. I feel more like a friend. You know, look at this in Exodus chapter 33, talking about Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. James 2.23, this is repeated again, I think, in Deuteronomy. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Do you want Jesus to call you his friend? You know, maybe it's on my next slide. Yep. You know, when you think about your best friend, you think about someone that you'd be willing to do anything for, right? If your best friend said to you, um, I need you to do it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help me move. You'd be like, I mean, I was already planning on helping you move. I didn't need a bigger motivation speech, but okay. Right? I mean, it just wouldn't, you wouldn't think that way, right? Maybe the strength part. Because I, people that help me move, I'm like, oh, I went on my back. That's funny. All right. And so... Last time I challenged you guys to have five close Christian friends, which I'm sure as soon as you left, you went and made it happen. So by this time, you have five close Christian friends. I don't need to see a show of hands. I mean, it's obvious that you did that. Um, Now I want you to think about your best friend. Do they know everything about you? Are they really happy for you when good things happen? You know, I was looking at uh, Abby Reagan. Is she here tonight? Yep. And Warren. Hey, good to see you. Um, So Abby got married the other day and she made a comment. She goes, she was excited because she's getting married. Right. And some of her friends were super, super over the top excited, like, ah, you know, and over the top. And she had some friends that were like, hey, congratulations. You know, that's awesome. And she was like, I don't get it. Why are they super excited for me? You know, like, like over the top. 
And um, But that's what she wants in a friend. When she's super happy about something, she wants her friends to be super happy. They throw this big fancy wedding and invite their super, you know, they want everybody to be happy, right? And enjoy in their happiness. That's what it is. And when you're really sad, when bad things happen, you want your friends to be there with you, right? You know, when you're sick in the hospital, you know, uh, Dennis Gates, is he here? Is he? Oh, so I remember a story Dennis told me. Uh, raise your hand if you remember Tom Winter. Oh, wow. Good for you guys. Amen. So Tom was a uh, great friend of mine in Dennis's. And um, I think this is all on the same day. It's tough with the memories, but I'm pretty sure I think Terry called me one day on Christmas and said, have you seen Tom? And this was Tom's normal thing, just to kind of disappear and go do something. And uh, no, I haven't seen him, you know. And um, later we find out that Tom had left on Christmas Day to go visit Dennis in the hospital and just to be with him, just to encourage him. He got, you know, the Holy Spirit in him and did it. And, you know, that, at that time, Dennis and Jana weren't coming to our church. They were, you know, searching and thinking through things. And like literally 10 years later, they were um, restored back to the body. And um, but Tom was sad because Dennis was sad. Because Tom was a good friend. You know, he loved Dennis. You know, strive daily to walk with God in this way and even deeper. As you think of God as this invisible God, think of him as your best friend. And start trying to work on that and think of it that way, how you talk. All right, so do you feel like a servant of Jesus or his friend? Right now, what would you answer? Was there a time in your life you felt like a friend, but maybe right now you don't? One of the ways that you can start to feel like a friend of God is knowing your gifts from God and actively doing his will in your life. Jesus says, if you know your master's business, you will feel closer to God and more like a friend. If you look at this little website, giftstest.com, it asks you 40 questions and it goes through the, the gifts from God. And it will show you kind of what is your natural gifts. So one, one of the questions is, do you have a lot of people over at your house? They didn't word it, do you like having a lot of people over at your house? It was worded, do you have a lot of people? You know, so I kept answering all of it honestly, right? And at the end, number one for me was hospitality. But Alicia and my kids have turned me into being Mr. Hospitality in there. But I'm not sure that's really my gift, um, but I, I try. Uh, next was teaching, mercy, giving, pastor, shepherd. Are you using these God-given gifts to serve others? Sometimes we're forced to do things that are not really our gift. It's not a thing. Like, raise your hand if you're not a really good singer. Wow, that's a lot. Um, and so if Stan's like, hey, I need you to come up here and sing right now, you're like, okay. I mean, you do it, but you're like, oh, I don't feel like I'm honoring God, you know. <laughs> All right, so if a friend asks you to do them a favor... It feels different than if a, bad, a boss asks you to do a task, doesn't it? It could be the same task. Both are good to do, but you feel closer to your friend, even if the task is the same. It's what you see in Christianity. Both people do exactly the same thing, but one of them seems joyful and is happy to do it. And the other feels like, oh, I got to go to church on Sunday. You know, I used to have guys call me back in the day. Some kind of like, hey, man, I'm sick. I don't think I'm going to make a church. I'm like, okay, why are you calling me? He's like, I just, just want to check with you first. I'm like, check with me what? If you're sick, stay home. Well, I'm like, if you're not sick, come to church. If you don't want to come to church, don't come to church. 
Like, I didn't get it. And so, <laughs> they didn't call me very often. <laughs> maybe, they were, maybe they wanted me to say, are you feeling okay? Can I come by and bring you some soup? Maybe that was, maybe I missed the whole point of the call. That's very possible now that I think back. Okay. Matthew 25, 23, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. It's okay to be a servant. Later, Moses was referred to as God's friend. But when God was talking to Joshua, he said, my servant is dead. You know, it's okay to be a servant, but it feels better to be a friend, doesn't it? And so at times in life, we have to be a servant. But at other times, we should strive to be a friend. And I think that's the ultimate demonstration of your relationship with God is when you're feeling like a friend. Let's be honest with a show of hands right now. Who feels like a friend of Jesus? Okay, about half the room. And so just really work on that. As you're working with your best friends, get that same relationship. How do we show up these things in our lives? We strive to know our master's business in each area of our life. As you walk with God, you'll go from being a servant to a friend, but working within your gifts. This is what it feels like to be a servant and then a friend. I had a Photoshop done of me with glasses. All right, so now we're going to dig a... We're gonna, oh, wait, you can change the slide. <laughs> All right, so that's it. All right. Have you ever dreamed of hanging out with the apostles? Yeah. Wow, that's all? Oh. This is where it's going to get a little deeper, and I'm only going to get maybe 10% of the crowd. We'll see how it goes. All right. All right, so... I shared last time, a little nerdy, reading all these early Christian writings, you know, I'm always just digging, 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 you know, on something. So there's volumes of letters written by the early Christian brothers, going back all the way to 70 AD, the Didache, to the Clement of Rome in 90, to Polycarp, to uh, Barnabas in probably 95, to um, Arrhenius. There's all kinds of really cool letters, so they're writing each other. There's even a letter written to Mary, and she responds. Again, these aren't canonized. They could be fake. But a lot of them, you read them, you're like, there's nothing really fake in here. It's just uh, with the one with Mary, they ask, what was Jesus like as a kid? And she writes back and she goes, I treasure these things in my heart. Thanks for asking, basically. <laughs> Move along. It was a short letter. Um, all right. If you don't want to read all ten volumes, <laughs> um, there's a summary of him in a book called Will the Real Heretics Please Stand Up by David Berceau. And this is the website he has. David's a great guy. Went to Israel with him in October. Had been friends for 20 years. Super awesome brother. He's very much uh, more Mennonite Amish in the way that he worships God, which is super cool to me. And I visited his church and it was awesome. All the women sat on one side. All the men sat on one side. And they only spoke. You know, it was, it was fun. I don't think some of our people would like it. All right. <laughs> some of the letters, Clement of Rome, Hermes Barnabas. One of the favorite teachers is Clement of Alexandria. So I'm going to share with you guys a little bit about Clement of Alexandria. Oh, I'm going on time. So there's Alexandria, Egypt. Now, an interesting thing about Alexandria is 
It was um, it had the largest library in the world in the third century BC. So people donated scrolls, Mark Antony, Cleopatra, all these people just flooded this library with great stuff. Now it burnt down later, but for a while there, even past the time of Clement Alexander, it was the place to be. Okay, it's like the British Museum. If you ever have have you been to the uh, British Museum, the uh, book area? Good, really good for you. So I went there with my family to London, and uh, normally everywhere I go, I'm like reading things, you know, at the museums. And about an hour in, most of them are getting kind of bored and they're ready to go. And I'm feeling guilty, and so I'm trying to speed it up. And then I buy a book, and then I thought, I'll just read the book, you know. And so this time, though, I was at the uh, uh, library, British Library Museum. And my wife's like, just take your time. Don't worry about us. Enjoy yourself. And so I go up there, and I'm like, they have all the old Bibles. Gutenberg and the, the uh, Coptic, the first, third, third AD. It's awesome, right? And I'm just staring at all these things. I collect old Bibles, and I'm just staring. So about three or four hours in, it finally hits me. Oh my goodness, I've been here three or four hours. And they're all sitting on this little wood bench. And I was like, man, I feel really bad. I'm like, we can go. And Lisa's like, no, take as much time as you want. But I, I think I left after that. I felt bad. All right, so if I was at this library with all these scrolls, oh my goodness, you'd get Homer's Iliad, you know. These are probably some original copies in there. Did I say that wrong? Odyssey? Okay, Eric's <laughs> mouth is up. All right. Um, so Clement of Alexandria, he was born in the year 150, and he converted to Christianity probably about 180 A.D. So he also taught at the catechetical school, which means instruction before baptism, at Alexandria, okay, where this, this thing was. And so this guy, he was in charge of teaching all the early Christians, all the younger ones. Okay, And so he's only at 180 A.D. when he's teaching. John probably died around 95 A.D. So you have John teaching his friends, which might have been Ignatius or Arrhenius. And then you have those guys living a few years and teaching their friends. So you're only a couple of generations removed from the actual John. And as we see in the Bible, if we wrote everything Jesus did, it would what? Fill up volumes. So they didn't. They only wrote down what this Holy Spirit inspired them. So there's other stuff that's written down after that the Holy Spirit decided wasn't necessary to be in the Bible. So I'm going to pull up a chair. Well, no, I have a microphone. I'm not going to pull up a chair. Um, I'm going to read something to you guys. And a lot of times this is not a good idea when you're teaching is to read. But when I first read this some 20 years ago, it moved me. And I'm a nerd. I'll read C.S. Lewis and it will move me. The Great Divorce or whatever. And I can really get into the story and understand it. So this was written by Clement of Rome, a true story about your brother John, the apostle, the apostle of love. True story passed down to him. And then when you hear it, you'll know this sounds true. This doesn't sound made up. And so I want you guys to think through this and go to the next slide. Next one. Oh, nope, back. Oh, is it not on there? Oh, yeah, that right there. I want, I want you to think through this story, and there's some characters in this story. It's John, a young man, an overseer church, okay? And it, it moves me, and I reread it the other night to see how long it would take me, which was about seven minutes. And I started crying in it. 
And I was like, uh-oh, I gotta suck this up. I can't do that there. So I talked to a guy, he said, take a deep breath. So I hope it moves you. Maybe it won't. I don't know. We'll see. All right, I want you to even be more confident that this kind of repentance, this is Clem of Alexandria saying it, this kind of repentance brings you the certain hope of salvation. So I will tell you a story that has been handed down and committed to memory about the Apostle John. When the tyrant Domitian finally died, John left the island of Patmos and returned to Ephesus. He was then asked to travel throughout the surrounding provinces. In one place, he would appoint overseers. In another, he would set whole churches in order. In still another, he would ordain those who were uh, indicated by the Spirit. Along the way, he stopped at one of the cities not far from Ephesus. Some have said the city was Smyrna. Do you remember that's one of the seven cities in the um, Revelations? And it was the only one that wasn't rebuked. And that was the one that Polycarp was the bishop of during the time that letter was written. And Polycarp died a martyr's death. And so when they say to the angel of the church in Smyrna, sometimes that's code for the bishop who oversaw the church. Side note. After he had settled some matters, he noticed a strong, handsome young man who was enthusiastic and devoted. Looking at the newly appointed overseer, he said, I commit this youth to you in all earnestness, in the presence of the church, and with Christ as witness. Much like we do with children, right? When the overseer accepted the charge and promised to fulfill his obligation, John gave him instructions and testimony. Then John returned to Ephesus. The elder took the youth who had been committed to him his home. He reared him, cherished him, and finally baptized him. After this, he relaxed his, he relaxed his stricter care and guardianship. He thought that the seal of the Lord he had set on the youth, i.e. baptism, gave him complete protection. But when the youth obtained this premature freedom, some other young men his age, who were idle, immoral, and adept at evil, corrupted him. First, they enticed him by providing expensive entertainment. Later, when they went out at night and robbed people on the highways, they took him along. Then they dared to pull off bigger things. By degrees, he came to accept their life. He was strong-willed, so once he had left the right path, he was like a hard-mouthed and powerful horse. He had taken the bit between his teeth, and he rushed with all the more force down into the depths. In time, he entirely despaired of salvation in God. He no longer desired to do small acts of evil, but great ones since he felt he was lost beyond all hope. He made up his mind to accept the same fate as others. Taking them and forming a band of robbers, he quickly became the captain of the bandits, the fiercest, bloodiest, and cruelest of them all. Time passed. Some necessity emerged in the church, so they sent for John to come to them again. When he had settled this other matter, John said, Overseer, return the deposit which I... And the Savior committed to you in the presence of the church over which you preside. At first, the overseer was puzzled, thinking John was wrongly accusing him of mishandling money. He couldn't believe the allegation, but neither could he disbelieve John. Finally, John clarified the matter, saying, I demand the young man, the soul of our brother who is entrusted to you. Can you imagine John saying that to you? The elderly overseer, groaning deeply, burst into tears. He's dead. How did he die? He's dead, the overseer said, to God. He turned wicked and abandoned the faith, and eventually he became a robber. Now he and his band have taken possession of the mountain across from the church. John tore his clothes and pounded his head with a great lament. I left a fine guard in charge of this brother's soul, he finally cried. 
Recovering from his grief, John said, Someone, please bring me a horse. I need a guy to show me the way. He rode away just as he was, straight from the church. As he approached the robber's hideout, he was grabbed by the sentry. Neither fleeing nor begging, he cried out, I came here so that you could waylay me. Lead me to your captain. Meanwhile, the captain, who was fully armed, was waiting. But as soon as he recognized John, he was overcome with shame. He quickly turned and fled. John followed him with all his strength, forgetting his age, and cried out, Why, my son, do you flee from me, your old and unarmed father? Son, pity me, don't fear. You still have hope of life. I will give an account to Christ for you, if need be. I will willingly endure death as the Lord endured death for us. For you, I will surrender my life. Stop. Believe Christ has sent me. The youth finally stopped and he stood looking down. He finally threw down his weapons. Then he trembled and began to weep bitterly. When the old man approached, he embraced him. Though the young man could hardly speak because he was crying so much, he expressed his regret for his actions. That day he was baptized a second time with tears. But he still concealed his right hand. John assured him on an oath that he would find forgiveness from the Savior. Begging him and falling on his knees, John kissed his right hand, purified by repentance. Then he led him back to the church. There John prayed profusely, striving beside the young man in continual fasting. Through hours of instruction, he subdued the young man's mind. In fact, John did not depart until he restored the young man to the church. He, restored, he presented the young man as a great example of true repentance and a token of new birth. He was a trophy of the resurrection in which we hope. For at the end of the world, the angels, radiant with joy, seeing hymns and opening the heavens, will receive those who truly repent into the celestial abodes. On that day, in front of everyone, the Savior himself will go to greet them and welcome them, holding forth the eternal light that is without shadow. He will conduct them to the Father's bosom, to an eternal life, to the kingdom of heaven. So believe the prophecies, the gospels, and the apostolic words by living in accordance with them, lending your ears, and practicing these deeds when you die. You will see the fulfillment of these truths. For everyone who welcomes the angel of repentance in this world will not repent when he dies. He will not be ashamed when he sees the Savior approaching in his glory and with his army. He will not fear the fire. On the other hand, if you choose to continue to sin perpetually in pleasures, if you prefer to indulge yourself here rather than seek eternal life, if you turn away from the Savior who offers forgiveness, blame neither God nor riches nor fallen flesh. Blame your own soul, which voluntarily perishes. For whoever desires salvation, ask for it vehemently and boldly. The good Father in heaven will grant true purification and eternal life. To him, by his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Lord of the living and the dead, and by the Holy Spirit, be glory, honor, power, and eternal majesty, both now and forever, from generation to generation, from eternity to eternity. Amen. Did that move you? You ask, well, Fred, how can I be a friend of God? How can I follow God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? How can I shima? How can I listen and obey? Imitate your brother John. You know, we would die if our child lost the faith and became a robber. You know? We've been there. 
You know, it moves me because I see this in my own family at times. And I would go anywhere to save my kids. Wouldn't you? That's right. This wasn't even John's biological child. John said he would die for this guy. Do you think this young robber believed him? Do you think he felt loved? So ask yourself, who do you relate to? Do you relate to John the Apostle, who was definitely a friend of Jesus? No doubt. The young boy, when he was a servant of Jesus. The elder boy slash man, when he was an enemy of Jesus. The overseer, who was a servant of Jesus. Didn't quite get it, right? Kind of backed off of his strictness. Or do you relate to the rest of the church? They didn't really mention in the story, but he was given to the whole church. Why didn't somebody else? Imagine if Bob, John comes, says, hey, where's uh, that young man I gave you? Well, he became a robber and was stealing from people and murdering people. But Bob went over there, risked his life and brought him back. And now he's doing awesome. Boy, how do you think John would like Bob? He'd be like, oh my goodness, Bob. Thank you so much. I love you so much. I'm so grateful. We see this when other people reach out to our kids, don't we? You love my kids. You love me. We see that and we feel that love from people. I want you guys to think about that and think about his love and being a friend of Jesus. All right, next slide. So Ed's going to talk a little bit about the practicals. Love you guys. You know, when you've had someone like Fred get up and uh, share the way he did, uh, you feel fed, right? And when you feel that fed, do you really need guy number two to get up and share some more thoughts? You really don't. And so I'm not. Um, you know, Fred is, is humble enough uh, to, to say of himself that he's not a very good public speaker or a very good public teacher. And the only thing that I'll say here tonight is that I disagree. Uh, he, he did an amazing, amazing job teaching tonight, and there really is nothing else to add. Um, Fred, more than anybody else in our teacher group, uh, has consistently shown the most humility um, in taking the back seat whenever he could, even though he pioneered this group. Uh, the most humility in uh, learning uh, everything he can uh, for the very reason to edify this group, this body of believers. Uh, so, Fred, home run. Great job tonight, bro. Let's go ahead and close out in a word of prayer. Or you want to say something? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a great night. It is so good to get deeper into the Word and to hear uh, these little nuggets and tidbits um, of history that really help our faith. Thanks for being with Fred. Thanks for answering Ben's prayer tonight that the Spirit would move because he did. And we just pray that we can walk away from here tonight with a new perspective, uh, a revigorated faith in our hearts, and help us to, um, to learn really what it means to become uh, friends of Jesus. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.